Well, we're up to Colossians chapter 2, and we are over in verse 1. We saw some of the things that Paul is dealing with here as far as the Gnostics and some of the um, false teaching that was around there. It seems like the, no matter what time frame we're in, we always got false teaching to deal with. The enemy wants to try and pervert what is true, get us to accept what is not. But in verse 1, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Now this uh, verse here has led many people to believe that Paul did not start the church of Colossus, nor the church in Laodicea, because he says he mentions that they didn't see his face. Don't know if that's quite all of the people that were there. Maybe many of the people that are in the church now haven't seen him. Uh, Not exactly sure what it would be with all that, but that's what a conclusion is that many have come away with. Whatever it is, there's a number of people in Colos and Laodicea that have not seen his face in the flesh. But he says, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you. So he has a conflict here. The word here, conflict, means effort, conflict, contention, fight, or race. I put another translation in. I think it's in yours as well. As many of... I'm sorry, no, that wasn't there. Where did I put the other translation? Oh, it's for later on. But the word here, conflict, he says, for I want you to know what a great conflict. He's got a battle that goes on on the inside of him. This is a great, this is not a little conflict. This is a great conflict. And he says, even though I haven't seen all of you face to face, I have a great conflict for you. Does most of our great conflicts come up with people that we know face to face? I mean, if we see something on Facebook about somebody that we don't know, we think, oh, that's a shame. And we kind of go on to something else. But if we see something pop up about somebody that we know, we're close to. Oh, no. What's going on? Don't we have a greater conflict with that? Paul is talking about having a great conflict for people who have not seen his face. Now, if they haven't seen his face, he hasn't seen theirs. That would seem to to reason. But he has a great conflict here. He's going to tell us what this conflict is about. But keep this word in mind. He has a great conflict that he has for those in Laodicea. For them... And as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Verse 2. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attain to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. uh, And of uh, Christ. Three things here that he's got a great conflict for. First off, that their hearts may be encouraged. The first thing he has a great conflict over, and again, he hasn't seen them. And so maybe he doesn't know exactly where they are in this. Maybe that's why the great conflict would come up. But he says, first off, that you would be encouraged. That one of the biggest things that comes against us as, a, as a Christians is discouragement. Discouragement because of things going on in the world. Discouragement because of things going on in the church. Discouragement because of things going on at home. Discouragement because of things that are going on in our physical bodies. There are all kinds of things that can go on that can cause us discouragement because we're not seeing what we expect to see. We're not seeing what we want to see. We're not seeing the end result that we, that we want. And so he says in this, that their hearts may be encouraged. Well, how is it that we are supposed to be encouraged according to the Word of God? There's a lot of different ways. There's not one. I mean, one, we get encouragement from the Word. When we get to read the Word of God and God speaks to us, here's, here's the answer that you need. Oh, boy, that just encourages us. We get encouragement from each other. Other people coming up and speaking the right word, speaking the, the right comfort it, to us sometimes, just being around other, other Christians. I think that's why you know, some of you folks come out on a Wednesday night, because just being around other Christians and an extra time during the week is just a, a good shot in the arm. That's why I do it. I like, that's why I like getting together on a, on a Wednesday night. A lot of, a lot of Christians, Sunday is all they need. At least that's what they think. Sunday's all they need. They come out on Sunday and, and, uh, and that's about it. In fact, so much so that many churches across the country don't have midweek services anymore. <laughs> Bigger churches than ours do not have midweek services anymore because you know, not enough people were coming to them. But boy, what an encouragement it is just to get together. And I especially see that with you all because that, uh, when we stop at 8.30 or whenever it is we stop, you all still hang out here till like 9.30, quarter to 10. <laughs> and that's good. That's not a problem. Don't feel like you have to. Get, if you have to leave, there, you know some folks have to leave right at eight thirty, and that's fine. They have stuff they have to do. But uh, you folks that hang out, don't think you're wearing me out at all. I think it's great. If you're going to come out here, uh, sure we can come out for service, but we can also come out and encourage each other. Because this is the thing that we need to do. We need to learn how to encourage each other and get encouragement from each other. 
Well, that's a lot of Christians who don't do this. They get so hung up on what other Christians uh, are doing or believing or, or going out. We just mess with each other too much. And we're not getting that encouragement out of each other that we could. And we need to, we need to have that. We need to have those, those uh, people that are like-minded. Because when you get together with people that are like-minded, oh, it's, it's sometimes, you know, if you, if you just get together, if you get a whole bunch of people together like to cook, we don't care a whole lot about the rest of the things that they're doing in life. They like to cook. I like to cook. We all get together. We cook. All right, we have those classes that I don't, I don't do. I'm, I'm not a cooker. I mean, I used to be. But my wife likes to do it, and that's fine. That's just, she can get together with people and cook. But you, you, you watched that. What was that um, one show? I thought it was a Hitch. Anybody see the movie Hitch? They all got together. They had that big cook-off thing. You all come in there. And you know, they're, you're cooking together and stuff like that. And they're having fun. People are encouraging each other. Well, just because you come together, what's really neat about these things is you come together and you agree on one thing. What? Cooking. That's it. And you get encouragement out of cooking. We, had our, we have our run group every Tuesday night. Do not schedule me for anything on Tuesday night because I won't come. <laughs> My wife doesn't understand this. She's, she was saying, why do you always have to go on Tuesday night? She says, because I cannot get that workout in on my own. Just can't do it. It's just, uh, it's substantially better. And um, you know, last night, it was first time in a month I had somebody to run with. Usually I'm going out in a group run and I'm running by myself because I got like eight guys that are ahead of me and everybody else is behind me and there's nobody in my, in my pace. Nobody. It's just, and so every week we was getting a little bit slower, but John came out. John, he, he says, I'm going to be in time. So John came on out. So we were running together and we pushed each other good. We pushed each other. I was watching my heart rate monitor. I came back and was watching it. I was in the 190s to 210s half of the run. So I was pushing it pretty good. I was, I was pretty, John was asking me, he said, what's our heart rate? So I said, I'm going to, I'll send it to you. I'll let you know what it is. So I, I looked it up just so I could tell him. I said, I can't, I can't push it to that level by myself. By myself, I can't do it. But in there, we get like 40 or 50 people together. You know what we talk about? Running. It. I don't know what their political stand is. I don't know uh, where they went to school. I don't know what they're in. I don't even know where a lot of these people work. All I know is they like to run. That's it. And we encourage each other and, and we have fun with each other on that one issue. Why is it that in Christian circles we have to get so hung up on all these other things? Your brother uh, Keith was talking about on, on one of his uh, messages recently that he, uh, he was relating to when he was going out and traveling, that he went out to a church that was outside of the faith circles. Non-faith circles. He didn't say what it was. I imagine a Presbyterian Baptist, something along those lines. And they were like, what are you doing going there? <laughs> well, they need the word too. And so he went on in there and he, he ministered and fellowshiped in areas that, um, that they could agree on. And he said, but we had a healing service. Anybody hear this story? You, you listen to him about as much as I do. Did you hear this story? You haven't heard this story? Oh, this is a great story. I love this story. They came on in, and you know, this is not a faith church. They don't know anything about um, having hands laid on you, being slain in the spirit, speaking. They don't know anything about any of that stuff. He's coming on in. He's ministering to you. He said, we had a healing service. He said, it wasn't like any healing service you have ever seen. He said, they all came up and they, for prayer, and I'm praying over them, and everyone was Quiet. He said, if you just looked at this from the outside and looked at it from our standpoint, you would look at it and say, nothing happened. Nothing happened. And so I guess it was the weekend meeting, probably a Saturday night meeting, because he said Sunday morning they were there in front of the church, he and the pastor, and the people were coming in, and they were, they were shaking their hands as they were coming in, and they would come up and they would whisper in Brother Keith's ear. They would whisper this and they'd go, I got healed last night. <laughs> he said 40 people... Must have been 40 people came up and whispered that in his ear. I got healed last night. Just whispered real quiet. He said, there's nothing like what you've, what you've seen before in that. But you see, they, they just fellowshiped on certain areas. We sometimes want to fellowship on areas where we differ. Fellowship on the areas where we can encourage each other. And you can get encouragement from each other. Just fellowship in all those, all those areas. It's, uh, oh, it can be a fun thing. But, but don't look for the differences. That's what the enemy wants us to do. He wants to drive wedges between us. Don't have to have that. Find the areas where we agree on. And let's, let's work on that.
and we can have some fun. We can encourage each other. That's the first. This, he, would, he was in conflict on this, that first off, they would be getting that encouragement. Because if you are not encouraged, then you don't continue on. Now, I had a, a discussion of this with my, uh, my, my nephew. He, um, he and I were friends on, on Matt, my run. And so we swap messages back and forth and we look at stuff that's going on there and hadn't seen him up there for a while. He hasn't been doing any workouts. So he finally got up there and he had a, had a run. So I said, hey, good to see you back in there, you know, and, and so forth. And, and so he had a, a group he got involved with, a group run he was involved with, but it's a little bit of a drive for him. So he was going back and forth and talking about this. And he says, yes, it's, it's great when I have that group run because I need the motivation. Just getting those people together would motivate you. I wrote him back and says, I have the opposite. I need motivation for a day off. Because I hate days off when I don't run. Hate it. I, don't, I, don't, I have never scheduled a day off this year. Never scheduled a single one. Sometimes they happen. But it's because the schedule goes to start myself. I was telling him, I, says, I, need, I need motivation to take a day off. Because sometimes you just need to take a day off, rest the body and so forth. I hate days off. I love running. I have to, that's why he writes me back and says, yeah, I can tell. <laughs> He's, and you know, we're, so we're trying to get in there and encourage them. But you see, get around people and fellowship on those areas. We have Christians uh, in, in this church and we have specialties. There's areas that we specialize on. Get around those people and fellowship on those areas that you can, you can glean those kind of things from. There are some people that really like to pray. Well, fellowship with them are when, when you need things of prayer, people who like to worship, people who really like to study the Word of God. People Find out what it is that they like to do, and when you need that kind of encouragement, get around them. Well, I don't want encouragement from that one. They believe this way. All right? Don't, don't look for encouragement in that area. You know, if you're a... You're a pre-trip person. You're not going to get encouragement from a post-trip person. So stay off the end times. <laughs> Just go off into something else. But find areas where we have agreement on, and that's where you can get the encouragement from. That's where those kind of things can, can come in. And you can give encouragement as well. Find ways to give encouragement. Don't just be absorbing encouragement. Get out there and give encouragement. So he was in great conflict. Great conflict. That there are hearts may be encouraged because he knows if we don't stay encouraged it's going to be a hard thing to keep fighting you got to stay encouraged even some of those things that you really like to do you can get discouraged doing them you need to you need to have those kind of things going on whatever it is you like to do sue tells us about writing you get around people who like to write and i bet you all not all those people agree with you doctrinally but you don't have doctrinal conversations. You have conversations about, about writing. And that's what you have to come. You get encouragement on those kind of things. So here's the first thing, that their hearts may be encouraged. Second one, being knit together in love. Boy, is that a workaround this time of year. I see all those posts on Facebook, you know, people who are, are saying, you know, half their friends are gone. I, liked, I, I thought it was comical the one time. He says, you know, thanks to the political season, I don't have to buy nearly as many Christmas presents this year. <laughs> That's kind of bringing some humor into the, into the whole thing. But being knit together in love. The world wants to get us to unknit, unconnect, to find ways to, to, to separate. We don't want to do that. We want to find the ways to get knit together, to get put together. This is, Paul is in conflict on this with people he doesn't even know. That, that first off, they would be encouraged. And that secondly, they stay knit together. When you begin to feel the enemy coming in and try and unknit you together with someone else, what should you do? Well, what most people do is they just give in. But the Word of God says, believe the best in others. So believe the best in them. And keep on going. Stay knit together. Do not let the world begin to pull you apart over things. Now, you know, there's some things that are important. If somebody wants to say, well, I don't believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, all right, we're having a problem here. That's, uh, that's kind of a crucial thing right there. That's uh, kind of really important that we, <laughs> that we believe that. So there are some things that we need to, 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 to be. But, you know, whether they believe in Jesus Christ as their healer, they'll still get to heaven whether they don't believe that or not. They can still get to heaven. They can get their sick. 
They can die early and get there sooner. That's fine. That's, that's what they want to do. Uh, that shouldn't stop you from fellowshipping with them. If they want to believe the wrong thing on the end times, that shouldn't stop you from fellowshipping with them. Fellowship with them, fine. And uh, stay on those areas that, that you can get encouragement from. Because you'll find out if you can encourage another brother or sister, then more than likely they'll receive instruction from you. If they don't feel encouraged by you, they're not going to receive instruction from you. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. Got to make sure we stay in that love walk. A lot of things want to pull us out. The biggest thing we have to witness to the world is how we as Christians love each other. Being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God. That's a mouthful right there. I try to summarize these things for you. And first off, encouragement, knit together in love, and gaining all the riches of the mystery. Just try to summarize that. Paul put it better. I'm just trying to shorten it. But he puts it as attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God. The mystery that God has revealed to us in the church age has a wealth of blessings for us. Of a wealth of riches for us to enjoy. And we can continue to press into that and learn more about it. How I many all know we haven't exhausted it yet? We don't know everything that's going on with the mystery, how it affects our life. So we need to press into that more. So we have encouragement, being knit together in love, and gaining all the riches of the mystery. Remember, he was in conflict over this. A great conflict that these things would be going on for people that he didn't say. So I gave you this, this abbreviation for it, EKG. You know, it tells you about your heart, which is important. Make sure that you keep these things going. We need encouragement. We need to be knit together in love. And we need to be gaining all the riches of the mystery. Make sure we keep those things going in ourselves. So then he goes on. Attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So in him, in Christ, is hidden all the treasures. Now, just because they're hidden doesn't mean you're not supposed to find them. They're there. But you need to go search for them. Just because you're born again in the family of God doesn't mean that all these things are made available to you. Some of them you've got to work a little hard for. And uh, I don't know if they're progressive. I know that knowledge in the Word of God is progressive. But you think of it this way. When you find one treasure, it gives you a clue as to where the other ones are. And then it gives you a clue to where the other ones are. And then that gives you a clue into the, the other ones. Like that um, uh, American-based movie. What was that one? They're hunting for the treasure. Treasure. National treasure. There you go. That was fun. And how they figured out what all these clues meant for the next place they had to go to and what they had to find. Interesting. And each one was showing them, uh, unlocking some things. And in the end, they finally got some place that probably doesn't exist, but it was fun in the movie. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Whatever we need in wisdom and knowledge, it's all there in him. We've got to press in to find them. We've got to keep on pressing in. Don't ever get the idea that I have pressed into the Word of God. And I know a lot about the Word. I know a lot about the Word. I love what Brother Hagin heard one time from the, from the Lord. He was the Lord was ministering to him, something in the Scriptures. And he gave him some insight on it. And he says, I, I've read the Bible over. I've never seen that in there. Mm-hmm. And, he, and, and the Lord said to him, he said, there's a lot in there you don't know yet. <laughs> Now, most of us would admit that, uh, but the reality of it, because we're sitting there and we're reading the Bible. I've read this before. I know this. Yeah, but if there's more there, then there's something more for us to find. We've got to keep going into the Word like there's more for us to find. Like we have not found all the hidden treasures in Him. There's still some more. And when we find them, oh, glory to God. I was talking with... Uh, one of the guys at the group run, he's a pastor. He's a youth pastor. And he was, uh, he was telling me this time, he says, hey, I got to preach Sunday. <laughs> he got to preach at the, the adult service. He says, I don't usually get to do that. But I got to preach this Sunday. He says, all right, I'm going to go out there and find the podcast of it and see if I can uh, hear it from you. 
he says, um, he says, so how many times do you preach a week? <laughs> so I, t- I told him, he says, you do that all year? He said, isn't that hard? I said, no. <laughs> because, because when you press into the Word of God, it's, it, you press in and God gives, he gives you the mystery. It's not like you've got to figure it out with your head. He gives you the mysteries. He opens up your eyes. He enlightens you. Oh, it's so much fun. But it's there for us to find. In him are hidden all the treasures. When we go into the word of God, do we approach it like these are treasures for me to find? There's something more for God to reveal to me. There's something more for God to open up. And, um, and what's, what's going on here? Oh, I'll tell you what. There are some things. And just to admit, I, I don't know what I was supposed to do with this just yet, but I was meditating on it, um, on some things. You know, because you look at the division in the, in the church just over the elections and all that, and it's amazing how much division there was on, on that. I'm thinking, God, you know, how, how, how is, is it that one Christian can see that this is the right way to go and another Christian can see that this is the right way to go? And God showed me something on that I had not seen before, and I still don't know what to do with it. So um, I'm pondering on that one. But it, was, it, was a, it knocked me off my socks. I said, oh, wow. I did not think of it that way. That was one of those treasures he kind of poured out to me there. I, I enjoy that. I'll, when I'm ready, I'll give it to you. Um, we'll see what, what happens with that. But I, I like it when he, he pours out those treasures for us. Verse 4. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. He's telling them some things here because he knows people are going to come and they're going to try and take these people and persuade and with persuasive words get them to believe something else. Get them to go in a direction that they shouldn't go. And the words were going to be persuasive. Not just words. Persuasive words. Paul knows that those words would persuade them to go in a wrong direction. Take them out of the purpose that God has for them. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. I put this in your outline for you. There are words people speak that are persuasive enough so as to convince people to leave the truth and follow a lie. But in order for them to be persuaded, they must believe that the truth they are leaving is not a truth and the lie they are pursuing is not a lie. So Paul is warning people that there are people out there who have persuasive words They can take you to disbelieve the truth as the truth and believe a lie as the truth. You won't see a lie as a lie. He's warning them. How many times did Jesus warn us? Do not be deceived. Deception is out there and we are susceptible to it if we don't be careful. We've got to be careful about the things that are out there being spoken. Because there are persuasive words to try and get us off of the truth. So he says, This I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Now he uses two military terms here. Order and steadfastness. These are used of of the military. And when when you see the military, I don't care what time frame you go to. You can go to now, you can go back to the World War II, you can go back to World War I, you can go back to the Revolutionary War, you can go back to the wars behind that, you can go back to the Greek Wars, the Roman Wars. The one thing you will always see about a military lineup is they're in order. They're in order. Bill Cosby had a great routine he did on the Revolutionary War. Anybody ever hear that one? It's absolutely phenomenal. He's, he was, his whole premise of this you have to go out and hear it. He does far better job than I am going to do in this, this little routine of his because I hadn't thought of this for years. But, but he did one. And he, um, he says, you know, in a football game, two sides come together. They flip a coin. Heads or tails, they say you call it. And uh, this side picks heads. It's tails. So what do you want to do? So that's his, his routine. Is. So what if everything was decided on a flip of a coin? So let's go back to the Revolutionary War. We've got the British soldiers lined up over here. We've got the Confederate soldiers lined up over here. We've got the referee in the middle. We've got a coin here. We've got a heads. We've got a tails. All right. I'm going to flip this coin. And I want you to call it in the air. Confederates, 
You get to call it in the air. He flips the coin up in the air. It comes down. They, on, while it's up in the air, he calls heads. He says, heads, it's heads. All right, you get to pick. What do you want to do? So the Confederates decide, all right, all you British soldiers have to wear bright red uniforms, line up in straight lines. And there was a third thing when I don't know what it was. And he said, but we get to hide behind rocks and trees <coughs> and wear anything we want to. So that was, uh, and he went through and he didn't hold much of them like that. It was kind of a comical thing. So if you never saw, saw that, it was a very entertaining. I think it was on the same um, comedy routine where he did uh, Noah. Anybody ever hear him do Noah? Uh, fuba, fuba, fuba. <laughs> That's a classic one too. That was, uh, that was great. <laughs> uh, good stuff. But anyway. Where do we leave off at? For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. So here's the, the order. He's, he's talking about you as the body of Christ. There ought to be that kind of military order that people look on and say, wow. Because, I mean, it, it takes, I don't know about it, who it couldn't be, but you see a bunch of military people all dressed up in their uniforms, all lined up in order, all marching down. I mean, Wow, <laughs> they look good. No matter what it is that they're doing, they look good. That's impressive. He's using this term here. That he wants to see their good order and their steadfastness of your faith in Christ. The message puts it this way. I am delighted to hear of the careful and orderly ways you conduct your affairs and impressed with the solid substance of your faith in Christ. I wrote that in your outline so you would, you would have that in case you... Verse 6, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So this one's now it's talking about our conduct. How we are to walk in him, how we are to live our life. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So we've got started. We've gotten it started with, with God. We got started with our relationship. Now that you're started, you can't just stop there. You need to walk in him. Just because you got started in the Christian walk, now keep on going. You know, some people, they just want to get saved. And then that's it. No, no. Get saved. Now change your walk. Now have your walk become affected. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. The New Century Version puts it this way. So continue to live in Him. The message puts it this way. You received Christ Jesus the Master, now live Him. From here he goes on and introduces four Greek participles describing how we should live or how we should walk. Verse 7. He says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So here's the first one, rooted. It's a perfect tense parsable, which would normally be translated, having been rooted. It's actually how it should be translated. Having been rooted. It's expressing the initial experience of being connected with Jesus Christ as well as the continuing result of that relationship. Having been rooted. So the first thing a plant, if it's gonna, when it starts, is it starts on the roots. You gotta start on the roots first. Having been rooted. So the first thing he's talking about is that connection that we make with God. That's the first thing. First of the four. Rooted and built up in Him. Second one is built up, of course, expressing the idea of allowing God to continue His work of construction in the life of a believer. Once you make that connection with God, his goal then is to build, to enter into construction, to build things in your life based on that root, based on that connection, based on that relationship. But he's going to be building things. Now, building this is a continual thing. He keeps building. You keep adding on. You keep doing more and putting more on it. Expressing the idea, idea of allowing God to continue his work of construction in the life of a believer. God wants to build things. And he's not done with you. Just because you've been born again for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, doesn't mean he has stopped building. There's more that he will build on if you let him. You're not just looking for a shack or a little two-story. He's into some big buildings. He's into doing some, some things there. Build up. Expressing the idea of allowing God to continue his work. Don't let it stop. But continue. 
established is also, uh, or being strengthened, refers to making, uh, making, <coughs> should be a firm, <laughs> I think it's supposed to be, <laughs> refers to making firm or stable. That he wants to establish you, he wants you to get you firmly established, <coughs> that your foundation is firm. He doesn't want you just to be, uh, just to have a connection. He wants you to be firmly established. So much so that you can't be moved. Because if you've got this building that he's building on top, he doesn't want you to be moving around, crushing that building down. So the first thing he says here is it rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Established in the faith. That you just keep getting more firm and more firm and more grounded. The more grounded you get, the less people can carry you away with, wrong, with the wrong stuff. This is not something that just ends. It's not like, well, I'm grounded enough. No. No, you've got to be grounded more. You've got to keep getting that firm foundation in there. So this is the third thing, becoming established. Here's the fourth one, abounding. Let's read it all. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught. Teaching is a big part of that. Abounding in it with thanksgiving. Abounding in that establishing. Abounding in these things that he's putting out there. Abounding with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving must be a part of what it is that we do. We must always be giving thanks. We saw that in our prayers. Prayers need to be with the giving of thanks. But everything you do in life needs to be with the giving of thanks. As soon as we get to grumble and complaining, things begin to fall apart. Don't be doing it. Don't be getting to grumbling and complaining. The enemy wants to get us to grumble and complain about our kids. He wants to get us to grumble and complain about our spouses. He wants to get us to grumble and complain about our jobs, about our bosses, about our neighbors, about our friends, about our enemies. He'll get us to grumble and complain about our pets. I've experienced that before. My rest of the family likes this little yapper dog. I don't like yapper dogs. I like dogs to bark and mean something. <laughs> oh, yapper dogs are always barking at stuff. Barking at the wind. And one my daughter had, oh, I'll tell you what, he was something else. He just had a bark that just would cut through you. Just, oh, you, you, you felt the bark. You didn't just hear it, you felt it. It just kind of went through your entire being and hurt. <laughs> Did not like that dog. I want, I want a big dog doesn't feel like they have to bark all the time. And uh, when they do, it's usually for a, for a good reason. But we are dogless right now, and glory to God. I am giving thanks that we have no dogs. <laughs> we got fish. And you know what's the beautiful part about a saltwater tank? If you are not home for a day, they don't eat. It's okay. There's plenty of food in the tank for them to find. It's not a big deal. Wednesdays, they don't usually get fed. I'm not home when the lights are on. They usually, most Wednesdays, they're not fasting. They're not over there with Keith and fasting. They're, they're, they're just, they have to find their food on their own. There's little critters that grow in the tank. And there's algae that grows in the tank. And they just got to go around there. Got to pick on that a little bit more. But they like it when, you know, I'm home because I make it easy for them. Just dump that stuff right on in there. But, um, you know, they, they don't bark. They don't cry out for food. They just kind of swim around and wait for stuff. But they're very entertaining. They're, they're a good, good group there. But give me a thanks. If you ever find yourself not giving thanks for some, give, not giving thanks for your car, not giving thanks for your house, not giving thanks for the weather, be giving thanks no matter what is going on. There's got to be something good about it. you don't like rain, thank God it's raining today when a day that I'm at work all day instead of a day when I could be outside in the sunshine. Find a reason to give thanks. There is a good reason for it. We can, still, we can give thanks because it's November and who, we don't have to bring out our winter coats yet. Well, all right, most people don't have to bring out their winter coats. Some people don't have to. I haven't brought out a winter coat yet. I'll say 
<laughs> All right. Well, we're we're not bundling up as much as we would be. We can say that one. I mean, we're some Novembers we've had thirties, things like. We're not down there. We we just had what a couple of seventy degree days. Glory to God! I love warm weather. I absolutely warm weather is my favorite. I love the warm weather. 70, 80, 90 degrees, this is good. It could be that way all year long. Like, I am not a fan of 10s and 20s. I will go out in it. I will not complain. About, I will go out in it. I am not a fan. I just don't let it beat me. That's all that, all that, that is. But I, I like feeling that warm sun. I like not having to have a coat on when you go out and run or go out to the store and like that. It just, that's the way to be. So we're in November. We're doing pretty good. We barely even run our heater. The only time we run our heater is when the other family is over and they have the little kids and the people who get cold. Otherwise, we don't, we don't pretty much mess with it too much. Not in this kind of weather. But what is it you can give thanks for? It's easy to find the things we can complain about. Easy to find the things that we can become disgruntled about. But what can we give thanks for? He says, abounding. Abounding in giving thanks. That's not something we do once or twice a day. It's something we continually do. We find things in the morning. We find things mid-morning. We find things late morning. We find things early afternoon. We find things mid-afternoon. We find things late afternoon. We find things early evening. We find things regular evening <laughs> and late evening. We wake up in the middle of the night. Instead of complaining about waking up, we give thanks. Abounding in giving thanks. It changes your life if you get to be that way. That's what he says to do. These things, if given priority, will keep us from false doctrine. They will. These kind of things, if you stay on them, keep those four things going on in your life, they will keep you out of false doctrine. So rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. But just to make sure he's going to go on. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. Now the word there, philosophy, actually takes the article. Which doesn't mean a whole lot in English as much as it does in the Greek. When you put the article before the noun, it is talking about a particular philosophy, not just philosophy in general. So when he's, he's saying it this way, beware lest anyone cheat you through the philosophy. Now what is the main philosophy he's coming against in this, in this uh, letter? Gnosticism. And that's the one that he's going to have in the, the forefront here. So beware lest anyone cheat you through the philosophy or Gnosticism probably. An empty deceit. Now all deceit is empty, but if you see it as full... If you see it as having substance, you'll swallow it. You'll take it. We had the bank crisis. Why did we get the bank crisis? Because banks were forced to give loans to people who couldn't pay them back. Forced by the government to do it. Otherwise, under all kinds of threats. So they did it. And they wrote all these pieces of paper. And uh, the people weren't paying it back. And so what they did was they packaged them into these mortgage groups and they sold them. And many a bank went down. How many of you remember when banks were being bought? And that's because they bought into these bad mortgages and they got hurt. Um, some of the ones that you would you would think of. Core States was one. Core States bought a bunch of these things, got hurt in it, became vulnerable, and they got bought. That's the only way that they got out. Think uh, was it Wells Fargo that bought them, or is it somebody else who? Wachovia. Wachovia bought them. And then Wachovia bought some of them. And then they became susceptible. And Wells Fargo bought them. Now that's just the two that you know I've had dealings with both of them. So I became real familiar with, with those. But other banks had the same kind of problem. And so you see that these mortgage-backed, whatever they call them, um, were bought by these, these ones. And then they failed. And eventually they ran out of people to buy them. When they ran out of people to buy them is when we had the big problem that came out. And that everything tanked and, and so forth. But the problem had been going on for a long time. It was created by the government. And guess who they decided to, would fix it? The government. Isn't it great where the government can create, create a problem and then we task the government to fix it? doesn't work out so well. But that was uh, 
mortgage, mortgage-backed securities. I think that was, that was the name of the, they put on them. But that didn't work out so well. They were empty. They were sold as here is a, here is a, a bunch of loans. You do that people are paying you regularly. Well, they aren't paying you regularly. Some of them were, but not all of them. They were empty. It was empty deceit. It was, you were deceived into thinking that this was a good investment that the people who were selling it to you knew it wasn't. And then when the group bought them, then they became in big trouble. Beside banks, I think there were some individuals too that got bought into these things. But uh, anyway, not a, not a big, uh, big deal. The thing is here, empty deceit. All deceit is empty. But if you don't see it as empty, you won't see it as deceit. And then we buy into it. And we look at some of the things that people, just in our, our day here, that they have bought into. We've got people that have written books on how to blow the shofar. Books on how to blow the shofar. That if you have the shofar in the church service and you blow it this way, certain demon spirits leave. And if you blow the shofar this you don't know this? <laughs> if you blow the shofar this way, certain aspects of the Holy Spirit come into the service. Oh yeah, we've, we had somebody who came into this church. They, you, you didn't see them the whole lot because they, they exited pretty quickly. <laughs> they were given the left foot of fellowship. And you didn't see them a whole lot because we won't, I don't need to bring those folks in. They're filled with empty deceit, but they see it as something that has substance and they're not going to hear anything. So, see you later. You need to get out of here. So they're gone. They didn't, uh, they didn't stick around too long. But they wanted to. They wanted to come in and bring all that sort of stuff in here and let you do it. They got the flag people. The people who want to say, you know, you hold the flags this way, you wave the flags this way, or you take this color flag and you do this, and certain demon spirits have to go because, because of the flags. No, they go because of the name of Jesus. Now, see, if you hang on to, the, if you know the name of Jesus, you come in here with this flag uh, theology, you say, no, that's empty. There's nothing in, in that. There's nothing about a flag in the Bible. But people believe it. People hang on to it. I think they're quacky. As soon as they start talking, I'll just hear ducks, you know. <laughs> it's just like, are you kidding me? Are you? And I'm not always very nice with them. I, just, I, I may be patient with some things. I'm not real nice with that sort of stuff. It's like, are you serious that you are buying something so stupid? And, you know, they get offended. I'm not sure why, but they, they get offended. And um, a lot of times they leave right away. And so you never see them. I'd much rather offend someone like that and get them out then to keep them around and let's see if we can fix them. Uh, we can't always, can't always fix them with that. We've had you know, people come in try and do the deliverance thing. Get people onto the deliverance doctrine. Deliverance doctrine is simple. In the name of Jesus you go. That's it. Did you ever hear of uh, Brother Hagin talk about when Jesus told him about deliverance spirits? If, there was an, an, uh, if you use the name of Jesus, the demon spirit will go. Did you ever hear that story him, him tell that? Way early in his ministry, he had a vision from God, and God told him. Um, and he was in a meeting, and uh, I just heard this story recently. Love, love hearing this, these kind of stories. Man came in. Remember the, the story in the Bible, the woman who was bent over. Mm-hmm. Well, he said a man came in who was bent over, just like that woman was. At least seemed to fit the description. Was bent over, and he could tell in this, he could see into the spirit that there was a demon spirit holding this man down. And so, in the name of Jesus. He, uh, he commanded, demon spirit, leave. And so he said to the man, he said, see if you can straighten up now. And he didn't straighten up. So he said, he did it again. In the name of Jesus, I say, leave. You have to leave this man alone. And so he said to the man, see if you can straighten up. And the man couldn't straighten up. So he said it a third time. He said, in the name of Jesus, I said, you have to go. And he said to him a third time, see if you can straighten up. And he still couldn't straighten up. So he just went back on. He started ministering to other people and other things were happening. And as he was moving on down the way, he saw Jesus standing next to the man who was still bent over. Anybody ever heard this story? Oh, man. This is one of those ones that gets you chills. Did me, anyway. And Jesus, standing over there, looked over at Brother Hagin and said exactly what he had said to him in the vision he had before. I said, if you say in the name of Jesus, you have to go. They go. And Brother Hagin said to Jesus, I said that he didn't go. And Jesus said to him again, 
He said, I said, if you say in my name, you have to go, they have to go. Brother Hagin said a second time. <laughs> I said that. He didn't go. He said, <laughs> he said, um, he said, and this time he said, something happened to his eyes. And it was like lightning flashes in his eyes. And he said, something, I can't remember how he said this part of it now. He said, something very, very sternly to the, to the fact that that's what I said. Or yes, but, but, but I said it. Or something, something like, very firm. And then he said, Jesus was gone. So he stopped what he was doing over here. And he came over to the man and said, I said in the name of Jesus, come off of him. Now he turned to the man and he says, now, stand up. <laughs> the man stood up. <laughs> oh, man, I tell you, that's, that was something else. That's deliverance. We don't need to know names of demons. We don't need to know techniques. We don't need to know how to have them sit and how to have them stand and how to have all these different things. What songs to play? We don't need any of that. What you need is the name of Jesus because that's what the Bible teaches you. Anything else is wrong because that's not in the Bible. So you see, if you have these things, then the empty deceit can't get a hold of us because we see it as empty. And as soon as someone comes along with something, we see that's empty. There's, there's nothing in there. But if we don't know what the word is, we can accept a compromise and we can go in the wrong direction. We can accept something as deceit as though it was truth. And it's empty. And now we're going around with empty words trying to bring something about. Paul's trying to get them to stay out of this. Beware. That word there, beware, means be constantly looking out. Constantly looking out. Do not stop looking out. Always looking out. No matter what it is. Don't let your guard down. Beware. They're out there. They're trying to get you. But you've got the insight. You can tell. That's empty deceit. I don't have to be afraid of it. I'm not looking out because I'm afraid. I'm looking out. I'm going to find you guys. I'm looking for you. Because I find you, I'm going to knock you over. That's the kind of attitude that you go. Not like, oh, I hope they don't get me. No. You show your face. Go ahead, show your face, because I'm going to knock you in the next week. Come on. That's how we do it. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. The word there, cheat, is to, uh, to lead away as booty, seduce, or spoil. You can actually even use this word for kidnap. Beware lest anyone cheat you or actually kidnap you or... Or uh, through, through uh, how do I put it? Uh, through uh, seduction, take your spoil. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy, the philosophy, and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So these other things are going to come after you, first off, with the tradition of men. This is how we've always done it. That's how we should do it. Or according to the basic principles of the world. God doesn't operate by the principles of the world. He operates by the principles of the word. Don't operate by the principles of the, of the world. And not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now again, he's hitting that, that uh, uh, philosophy, that doctrine that was out there. That the fullness of God was divided and some of it was in Christ and some of it was in the angels and you had to get all those heavenly presence together in order to get the fullness of it. And he's saying, no, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Amen. So since in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and we are in him, he says, you are therefore complete in him. If we are in him, there is nothing that we lack. So no deceit should ever be able to come over to you and say, if you do this, you'll get this. This is what you need to get completed. This is what you No, in him dwells all the fullness of God bodily. And I am in him. And all I got to do is press into him more. And all wisdom and all knowledge is unlocked to me. Amen. It's all there. Every bit of it. I just got to keep pressing into him. I got to understand what I have in him. 
what the wisdom is there, what knowledge is there, and keep pressing in. Because the more I press in, the more he's going to show me. Remember that series we did on, little mini-series we did in the series on questions. You get the right question, you get God's attention. And God sends revelation knowledge. So you get out there in the world, you start operating in it. God, how do I make this? How do we do this? And God says, here you go. But say, I get out there, find out what the question is. If I ask the question, God can send me the answer. So here's the thing we put here at the end. Do we view casually the things Paul saw as meriting great conflict? Do we take some of these things casually that Paul says, I am in great conflict for you for? Because if we take them casually and Paul takes them as great conflict, can we see that there's a separation there? If I'm not seeing them as important as Paul saw, then maybe that's why my life isn't quite the way that it is with Paul's. Maybe that's why my Christian experience isn't the same as his. Because he saw these things worthwhile to have great conflict for. And we see them as, well, they're there. Are we in the same great conflict that Paul had? Do we see it as just as important? Does it merit our attention the way it did Paul's? And if not, how are we going to change it? What are we going to do to bring that around? Father, I thank you that in your word you have unlocked all the clues, all the things we need to live in this life and live it successfully. Thank you, Father, for the people that you have put before us, the Paul's, the Peter's, the John's, the things they wrote, the things they helped us with. Help us, Father, as we unlock these things, these truths, this wisdom, and that we fill up ourselves on this. And any time deceit comes, instantly we see it as empty. And there's no way we'd fall for it. I thank you, Father, that we can beware of those that are around us, but we never need to be in fear. Because what is empty can't hold a candle to your word that is full. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.